0: You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. That's a good jam, right? That's when I wish I could dance. <laughs> How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Oh, <laughs> snuck in here. Kids were a little loud in the car. Might have said some words to them. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? All right, are, we, are you at least happy that you made it this far in the service? Yes! All right. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I'm excited that you're here today. Uh, Jan was talking about our small group. Man, our small group is awesome. Uh, If you're looking for a small group, A, you should come to Discover because it's great and it's going to be fun and uh, there's pizza. Uh, But more importantly, uh, you should come to my small group on Thursday nights because it's awesome and uh, we get the chance to just love on our neighbors. And uh, so we've done all kinds of things from felt need just to... Um, you know, whether it's school supplies or home goods, just little things to show like, hey, we love you, we care for you. Um, we've done everything. We paid bills, all kinds of stuff. Uh, but I just love uh, connecting with my neighbors. It's fun. Doesn't it feel like we're just at, we're at that place as a society right now where people are kind of so isolated. It's like, man, anything to break down those walls, I'm for. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Well, hey, let's let's do this together. We're, we're, we're kind of feeling it. I love. know. Or, you know, 1045 service. It's a little later, so I think we, we're going to wake it up a little bit. You good with that, Alec? Okay, good. All right, would you guys stand with me? Let's stand. I know you just said, now let's stand again together. And when you stand, just kind of shake out your arms. Get them loose. Get them a little loose. Shake out the legs if you need to, whatever you need to do. Kind of, I don't know, for the whole body thing. We'll put up the first service online so no one will see that ever again. Um, but we're going to read Scripture together. Can we do that? Can we read it together? Uh, Again, if you're like, I don't really want to do that, just stand there looking good. You look good today. You made it. It's all right. Uh, But let's read together. 2 Timothy, verse 1. We good? All right. For God gave us a spirit. Oh, okay. We're going to start over. Come on. Come on. Alec, help help me out here, man. I'm dying. I'm dying over here, bud. Yeah, thank you. Nino, Ricardo, I see you, bud. All right. All right, here we go. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. One more time. Thank you, my brothers who are helping me. I appreciate these mighty men of God. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Amen. Give yourself a round of applause as you sit down. Good job. You did it. You made it. Thank you. Thank you, Alec. Wasn't worship awesome today, guys? Wasn't it good? There was that really powerful moment where both Alec and Alex were both singing, and there was like this, like reverb, and it was just like powerful. I was like, okay, here we go, guys. Just guy time, man. They're just getting it. So good job. Yeah, it was powerful. Boy band. Boy band today. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm excited. God has given us a, not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We talked last week. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. But I, I love the next part. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love. You know, we finished our First John series a couple weeks ago. And one of the most popular and famous uh, verses in 1 John is 1 John 4.18. And it says this. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. There is no fear in love. Did you know, you might not know this, this might be your first time at church, or maybe you're joining us online, you're, you're on our online campus, and uh, maybe you didn't know this, so let me just be the first to tell you it's awesome good news. You were created to live with and be loved by God. Did you know that? That was half an amen. Almost we'll get there guys. Amen. You were created to live with and be loved by God. I think that is one of the most incredible things. You were created, you were created to have an intimate relationship with God. But I think humans we have a problem. We have an intimacy problem. We fear intimacy. We are afraid of intimacy for a couple of reasons. One uh, is some of us have never experienced it. Maybe you've never experienced really true intimacy. Maybe you've never been in a a trusting, loving relationship. Maybe maybe in your life you've never seen that model or been a part of it. I've really noticed in in this COVID season or whatever the heck we're calling it now, let's just say 2020, whatever it is, uh, I've noticed a uh, compounding of a consistent cultural issue, which has been that we are an isolated people who are living at a relational deficit. Like This generation, especially coming up, struggles with the idea of intimacy in a healthy way. They, they have not seen it, modeled it, they don't live it, they don't function in it. And so we're, we're living kind of at a relational deficit. Have you sensed that just in, in 2020, living at a relational deficit? And I think it's amazing because as, as we look at our world and all that we're going through, we can just see it so clearly all over that people are struggling, feeling isolated, feeling like they can't trust people. You know, I, I have a really big heart for, um, for foster kids and for adoption because that's something my wife and I are very passionate about. And so I, I, I was, you know, talking to some people, and I put out a post saying, hey, pray for, um, you know, foster kids because, you know, we, we've talked a lot about in this season. I've heard a lot of things on the news about, you know, we got to watch out for the vulnerable people, which I believe in. But I haven't seen very many people talk about foster kids is the vulnerable people normally my grandma my grandpa which are vulnerable but to me there's this group of young people that are so vulnerable and they're living at such a deep relational deficit and so um one of our incredible people uh who works with um special needs foster kids in group homes messaged me and said yeah please be praying because kids in group homes are running away at an alarming rate because they're lacking the relational connection. They've been isolated, they've been locked away, and it has long-term damaging effects. Isolation does. They never experienced it, trust intimacy. So you might not have experienced intimacy. That's a problem for some, but some is that you've experienced it, but you've been hurt in it. And you got some past hurt, some pain. Maybe you just seen it. Maybe uh, you, your parents uh, had a marriage that went south, and so your thought is, "I will never get in a relationship because I have seen how bad it can be." Isn't that the funny thing about relationships? Uh, no one can burn you like your spouse, right? It's okay to laugh out loud. That was funny. <laughs> No one can hurt you. Like, they know you, and so, like, no one can really get you, like, your spouse. If you've ever been in a relationship that's gone bad, like, no one can hurt you like a, like a deep friend, like a, like, a, like a close, like a brother, like a family member. No one can really hurt you. Uh, maybe we can just be honest together. Let's, let's be honest together as a church. I'm going to slide this podium over, and then—there we go. Let's be honest together, church. How many of you, whether it's family member, friend, a relationship, don't nudge someone next to you be like, this is you. But how many of you have ever been burned in a relationship? Just raise your hands. Raise your hands. Leave them up. It's okay. Okay, look around. See how that's like pretty much everybody, right? Okay. But let me tell you something as we start. And before we tackle the fear of intimacy, let me just say one thing. If you write notes, write it down. Three words. Four words. There we go. Your pain is real. Your pain is real. This is so important. Before we launch into overcoming, before we go into explaining it, it's so important that you hear that your past hurts, your aches, your suffering. It's real. This is not the message I'm going to preach you today. The word I believe that God has for you today is not a get over it message. Like, just get over it. Like, just move past it. Just get over it. That's not what I'm trying to share. So I want to say right from the beginning, if people have hurt you in your relationships and have violated that trust, hear me say, your pain is real. And so please acknowledge that pain. Please acknowledge that hurt. That's okay to acknowledge that. Now, we're not going to stay down there in that hurt and pain. We're going to believe that the Holy Spirit and the Lord is going to lift us and strengthen us and encourage us. But your pain is real. If someone has violated trust and relationship, it's real. I don't know if you've, you've heard of Job. Any any Bible readers out there heard of Job? Okay, Job, Old Testament, uh, famous really for suffering. And in his moment of suffering, and he's he's going through all these things, he was a righteous man, but he was suffering. And uh, in this moment, all his friends come around, and they gather around him, and he opens himself up. He's like vulnerable to them. And what do they do? They support him. They encourage him. They no. <laughs> They start gossiping about him. They start talking trash to him. They start blaming him. Like, it's your fault this happened. He's like, whoa. Like, like you did this. It's your, they start attacking him. Anyone ever had that? It's like you're, you're vulnerable with somebody, and you're like, I didn't realize I was giving you a sword to chop me down with just by being vulnerable to you. Like, I thought we were friends. L- listen to Job 19. Some of you, you're really going to identify with this pain. He says, all my intimate friends abhor me. And those whom I love have turned against me. Like, you can hear his pain in those words, right? All my friends, my intimate friends abhor me. What am I going to do now? He's saying, listen, you're pain is real. Some of you, you're living today with a fear of intimacy because deep pain. And so you think, people have hurt me, so I'm just gonna keep everybody at a distance. I'm gonna keep everybody at arm's reach. I'm gonna get my armor on. No one's really gonna know me. No one's really gonna know my story, because if I keep it to myself, then I can't get hurt. I'm never gonna really show somebody who I am. I'm never gonna really be open and honest. I'm never gonna be vulnerable, because if I do, then that trust, that intimacy is gonna be violated. Listen, the pain is real, but that fear can be so damaging. Please hear me this morning, church. That fear, the fear of intimacy can be so damaging. And I'm going to tell you why for a couple reasons. We're going to go to Genesis 3, and you're going to see that at the very beginning, people struggle with this. So let's go to Genesis chapter 3. If you bought your Bible, crack it open, go to there. Uh, if not, the words will be on the screen. Genesis 3, we're going to talk. Okay, so first thing, what do we see? What is damaging about the fear of intimacy? The fear of intimacy, if you're taking notes, write this down. Put it on your phone, something like that. The fear of intimacy will make you distant. Somebody say distant. Distant. The fear of intimacy will make you distant. The fear of intimacy keeps everybody at arm's length. You're like a boxer. You know, when boxers are tired, what do they do? They come in, and they, like, wrap up so that the ref has to separate them. Just a few of you that's boxed, you understand what I'm talking about? Uh, but if you can keep everybody at arm's length, you can keep them, you know, in your scope so you can still throw your jabs, but you don't let anybody in. Some of you are like that with intimacy. I got to keep people at kind of jab length so if it goes wrong, I can push you away. I can keep you away. It will make you distant. And But we look back all the way at Genesis 3, and they were still struggling with the same fear. Let me, let me give you a little—let me sum up the first two chapters of the Bible for you. Ready? Okay. God creates the earth everything, then He creates man. And He's like, this is pretty good. I like this. I like having this relationship. There's the first two chapters of the Bible for you. <laughs> uh, then God says, listen, it's not good for man to be alone— That's very interesting. So God says, I love to be in this relationship with man, me and man, to walk in the garden and be together. But he needs to be in relationship with somebody else as well. There needs to be a vertical and a horizontal relationship. So I'm going to make woman. So he makes Eve, and Adam and Eve are together. And it's a pretty good gig because they're alone, naked, in the garden, and that's like it with God. So it's a pretty good setup. And God says, listen, you could go do, you know, what two naked people alone in the garden would do and populate the earth, and you can uh, subdue it, and you can name all the animals, drafts, elements, whatever you want to do. He said, and then you cannot eat from this tree. This is my, own, this is my caveat here. Because we need to live in a relationship, and part of relationship is trust. So you need to obey me as the Lord and not eat from this tree the knowledge of good and evil. And they're like, oh, okay. And so what do they do? Well, they eat of the tree. Like, I don't know if you guys the, saw the felt boards, but they eat of the tree. The serpent comes, and he says, hey, uh, did God really say that you couldn't eat of the tree? And Adam was like, well, or Eve's like, well, I, I think he did. And, and Satan's like, are you sure? And she's like, well, maybe he didn't. I was like, like she knows, but it's like, oh, you know how quickly we justify things that we know are blatantly wrong. Like, there is literally two of us here. He told one of us, <laughs> and so she eats of the tree, and she gives some to Adam, and they choose in that moment to rebel against the God who loves them, and to and and to turn against him, and to sin against God. So here is what happens. Okay, Genesis three, verse eight. If you are still with me, say Amen. Amen. Okay. Genesis three verse eight. We're going to read this together. Says, and then they, meaning Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden, which is a funny move when you really think about it. it. Says, but the Lord called to man and said to him, "Where are you?" And he said, Adam said. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was, what does that word say? Can you read it? I was, I was afraid. I was afraid because I was naked, and I, what does that word say? Hid myself. What an interesting thing. I was afraid because I was naked. As if he would know that was a cause for fear until that moment. That spoke loudly. Like, there's literally two people on the earth. How do you even know what naked is? Because of shame for what they had done. Shame will make you, it will cause you to distance yourself from God and from others. It will cause you to hide. Shame brings us to the place where we fear intimacy and so we keep everybody at a safe distance. That's how it works. The fear of intimacy will always keep people at arm's distance. It, it, it prevents us from truly being vulnerable. We can't be vulnerable, and so we can't really open up. We can't really be honest with people. When I first started in ministry, I, uh, I was a worship pastor and a, a youth pastor. And at our church, we had a policy it was kind of unspoken, and now I realize it's probably mildly unhealthy, where we would say, don't call in, crawl in, which is a funny thing to say in a COVID world, Uh, but we don't call in, crawl in. And I worked with a lot of people who were like late stage uh, millennials, or you know, like we were like not quite Gen Z or whatever we were. And uh, so I took it personally, I took it like a mission on myself, (laughs) that I would never call in unless I was like... Dying, and even then, maybe if I had the time, I would come in. Because I took it personally. I don't know if you take that personally. Like I took it personally when people bail. Like that says something to me. I might not say something to you, but if like you say you're going to be there, then you're not. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I took it. So I was like, I gotta be there. I gotta be there. So one day I had what in the Latin they call food poisoning. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, that is a trip. Anybody have food poisoning? are like, how do you know it's not food poisoning? How do you know it's food poisoning and not the flu? It's like, you know. You know. You know. My insides are furious. And part of this food poisoning was an experience that was happening um, here and the other way. And so my body was viciously removing what it believed to be wrong with itself from any place it could find. Are you with me? I'm trying to be like as polite as I can in church here, but, you know, you're with me. And so I— um, I woke up. I felt terrible. I know I'd eaten something wrong, and I knew in that moment I had food poisoning, and so I did my thing in the bathroom, front and back, and uh, I got ready, did the same thing. I went to church. We had band practice. We'd get there at 6 o'clock in the morning, and we'd practice for 30 minutes, and we'd prep to start services, and we had five services, and I knew it was going to be crazy, so I um, I went down into the bathroom. We had a downstairs bathroom where I thought I could make these kind of terrible— you know, demonic sounding noises without somebody being like, What's happening? Do we need to anoint the place with oil? So I went down to that bathroom and I, you know. The thing. And uh, I did that before practice, and then we did our practice, our sound check, and then I went down and did it again. And then we did pre-service prayer, and then I went down and did it again. And then we did our first service. I got up for worship and did worship, and I'm just like trying to sing and trying not to let anything else except the glory of the Lord come out. And uh, so then after worship, I went down into the, into the bathroom and did the thing again. And then I came back up after the message, you know how the band comes up, we did that as well, and I, d- and I led that, and then I went down again, and in this moment, I, ha- I have very little left, <laughs> and I, um, you know, I, I felt it kind of coming up, and I was between services, we had a short turnaround, we had 15 minutes between each service, five services, And this was, I got through the first service of the day, getting ready to go in the second. And my band, they'd start without me. I mean, it was crazy. Like, they were, like, on. So if if that countdown video went and I wasn't there, they would just go without me. And then one of the singers would be like, this is finally my moment. And they would just go. And uh, and so I'm in the bathroom, and I feel that come up. And I'm like, here we go. Time to pay penance to the porcelain throne here. And uh, in that moment, as I am... Releasing this feeling, I'm sorry, um, uh, the, uh, the, other, the other side just started to go as well, it, it was like, it's time for us all, it was like, one, two, three, everyone now, <laughs> and uh, it met some resistance in my pantal region, <laughs> this is like as clean as I can make this story, I asked Katie if it was inappropriate, she said it was fine, but she's not here right now, so it's cool, so I pooped my pants, Come, here, we go. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Let's be real here in church. I pooed myself like a toddler. And so I, I at this moment, I'm in the bathroom. My band is, like, texting me, like, hey, man, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, like, texting them like, I'm fine. Everything's great. Ah, praise the Lord. And uh, <laughs> they're like, are you good? I'm good. I'm good. And I'm, like, there with this, you know, mess in my hand, so to speak. And I'm, I'm like, what do I do? Okay, I need to tell you, I had been married for two weeks. Young men, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you're, you're still trying to, like, I mean, I, I take care of myself, take care of my family, try to keep, you know, keep some swagger to my my relationship. But, you know, two weeks in, you're really trying to impress her still. You're trying to prove she made the right choice. Like, there's other choices you chose right, you know? And so when you're trying to give it to your wife, like, yeah, girl, like, you chose right. Like, I'm the man of this house. What you don't want to do is be like, um, yeah, honey, I pooed myself like a child. <laughs> That's going to affect your intimacy, <laughs> literally. (laughs) And so I'm like debating because I feel in this moment so vulnerable, but I'm like, I don't want to call my wife and be like, hey, come bring me, you know. So eventually I got to call her on the phone and be like, I'm in a bathroom. There's other people. Remember, five services. So people are coming in and out packing this building. It's about the size of this, and our bathroom's there. So imagine if I'm in those bathrooms, if you've ever been in them, but imagine there's like 250 people trying to get out the lobby, and I'm on the phone in the most echoey room possible, like talking to my wife like, uh, hey Katie, uh, mm, mm, this is this is your husband. I uh, <laughs> I booed myself. <laughs> she's like w-, she's like what? I'm like no, listen. Sh- sh-. I'm like trying to explain to her what has happened. I'm trying to explain to her, I'm like please, like help me, help me, help me, like help me. And so she did. my wife's amazing. She's an amazing woman. And so she only judged me slightly from that moment. But in that moment, I'm in the bathroom. My team's like there. Like, man, we got to go. Like, tell us what's going on. And uh, I, I'm just like locked in because I don't want to see any, I don't want anyone to see me in this vulnerable moment, right? Like, I don't want any of my team members see me like this. I am a mess. I think some of you today, Or in a vulnerable moment. And though you're not hiding behind a bathroom stall door, you kind of have a mess on your hands. And people have been texting you and calling you and asking you, hey, are you okay? Hey, how are you doing? And you're just like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Everything's good. But inside you feel terrible. You feel sick. You're exhausted. You have nothing left. But heaven forbid that you tell somebody, hey, guess what? And just be a little vulnerable with them. I got some stuff going on, and I am suffering. I am hurting. I am in pain. You know what? I'm at the end of myself. You know what? I'm doubting some decisions I made. You know what? Like, I've been hurt. I've been offended. You know what? Like, I'm way down here. I don't even know how to get up. I need some help. I need somebody with you. Yeah, you're not hiding behind a bathroom stall, but some of you today are hiding behind a screen or a schedule or an attitude or an image or a brand or time or personality or finances, but Inside, you are a mess, and you need to be vulnerable with somebody. You need to open up, you need to open your heart up, and you need to be vulnerable and say, Hey, listen, this is the mess I am going through in my life. And guess what? Some people might not be able to take that mess. But the ones who truly love you and truly care for you, guess what they'll do? They will help you, they will care for you, they will they will help you in your time of need. But we have to be vulnerable. What are you hiding behind? It's not, hopefully not a bathroom stall door. If you're in the bathroom hearing this, come on out. But what are you hiding behind? Are you hiding behind an image? You're one of those people that's just brutally honest. If it fits within your brand but you really have not sat down with somebody who could work through something with you and invest in your life and encourage you and empower you and lift you up. I know we have like, every time I go on Instagram, there's some self-help chick being like, I'm just abundantly honest. You're not helping anybody because you're not being truly vulnerable with somebody who's gonna take you out of what you're hiding behind and take you to the next level relationally. You need to be able to be real and open and honest and vulnerable with somebody. Are you with me? What about your schedule? You know what? If I just stay busy enough, I won't have to deal with all this crap in my life. If I just stay busy enough, people will think, if I could just make enough money, if I could just get that next paycheck, things will be fine. It's like, but you're just hiding behind it. It, Behind that door, you have a mess. This is why wealthy, successful people commit suicide. How could they do it? They had everything. They were busy all the time. They were working. They were making moves. They were making albums. They were making plays. They were making money. How could they do it? Because inside, they were locked behind in a place of vulnerability, and they feared intimacy. I'm afraid to be honest. I'm afraid to open up. I'm afraid to be true with somebody. Fear of intimacy will make you distance yourself from God and from others. Are you still with me? Okay. Second thing fear of intimacy will not only make you distant, it will make you defensive. Someone's like, no, it won't. <laughs> when my wife and I, uh, she's not here, so I can't point to her. So that coffee cup, that's her. Um, my wife and I, when we do couples counseling. I know we're just like in for it when we get in. And people are already like doing the blame game. Like they're already fighting about the parking spot. They're Like there was nobody parked here. They're just meeting us. They're already fighting. Like why do you always park under trees? Every time we go somewhere, you park under a tree. It's like, well, I'm the only one who washes the car. You know, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Katie, I hope you brought snacks because we're going to be here for forever. <laughs> because no one wins the blame game, right? How's that working for our country right now, the blame game? That's solving a lot of problems, isn't it? It's your fault. Great. Maybe it is. What are we going to do about it? Nobody wins the blame game. It it makes us defensive. Did you know the first blame game was in Genesis 3? Check us out with me. If you have your Bible, just keep going down to verse 11. It says, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And it says, God said, who told you that you were naked? What an awesome phrase. Like, you're the only people alive. How do you even know that you're supposed to wear clothes? Right? Like, you chose the cl- who. T- who told you? He says, who told you that you were naked? He says, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Do you notice how God, he knows, he knows, but he gives us a chance always to repent. He gives us a chance to say, yes, I made this choice, but look at the blame game. Look what happens. Look what Adam says. He, he says in verse 12, the man said, here we go, guys, the woman you put me here with, she gave me some fruit from a tree, and I ate it. <laughs> that is the weakest excuse. <laughs> but think about that. Like, think about what a diss on God that is. Like, if I'm God, I'm like, bro, listen, you were alone, like, on the earth, on the whole earth, just you and me. I made you a woman, and then you were her only option on the whole earth. And then you were naked together eating a healthy diet on the earth together together just you i hooked you up now you're gonna throw it back in my face and he says the woman you put me here with what man I- i'll tell you what man can-, can we have a can we have a moment man like I-, I believe in the strong mighty men of god who lead the way physically spiritually emotionally I- i'm all about it i think we gotta lead said so he says when a man leads his family spiritually becomes a christian leads his family 93 percent of the time the family becomes followers of christ Men, you set the tone So can we just come to agreement, man? We don't hide behind our wives. You know what I'm talking about. The, like, I'm driving on my way to meet a dude, and it's like, oh, yeah, sorry, man. My wife, like, planned this thing, but, like, I didn't bother to, like, check the schedule. So sorry, man. I can't make it. It's like, bro, just say you don't want to come because I've talked to your wife, and I know you're free. Just say, I don't want to hang out with you, so I'm not going to come. I'll at least respect that, but I won't respect, oh, yeah, sorry, man, my wife you don't check the schedule oh sorry man my wife says I can't well you don't check the budget like lead your family lead your family spiritually lead your family physically lead your family emotionally be a man do man stuff lead your family right men come on let's go like a come on man oh there we go that's right yeah I love having a strong wife my wife is amazing she's gifted and talented and organized I'm not super organized she is so I check with her hey let me make sure she doesn't put something on the calendar. I haven't got to. But I will never hide behind her because I'm a freaking man, and I don't hide behind my wife. That's what Adam did. He hid behind his wife. Oh, yeah, this woman, this woman you gave me. If I was God, I'd be like, fine, well, I'm taking her away. Enjoy the desert, loser. <laughs> Welcome to celibacy, homie. I'm going to make Rick over here. He now lives with Eve. So then it jumps down to Eve, the blame game. He said, I didn't do it. The woman did it. It jumps down to the woman. She says, oh, no, because, you know, women, very spiritual, prayer warriors, led the prayer movement in the church for years. She says, oh, no, it wasn't me. The devil made me do it. The the devil made me do it. (laughs) There have been spiritual grandmas since the beginning of time, apparently. Like, the devil made me do it. Look at that. She passes it down. She's like, the devil, you know, no, 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 it wasn't my fault. The devil deceived me. It's like, well, he just told you to do the thing you knew was wrong. Yeah, but, like, I don't know. I just felt like I needed to be true to myself. And he's like, What? I like, go, well, the devil did it, and then God goes to the devil, and the devil's like, yeah. <laughs> He's like, well, now you're a snake, and Jesus is going to crush your head. But look at this, the blame game. It just passes it down and passes it down and passes it down. It's not my fault, it's your fault. It's not my fault that we're not doing this. It's my wife's fault. It's not my fault, it's my husband's fault. It's not my fault, it's my boss's fault. It's not my fault, it's someone else's fault, right? Because I don't have healthy relationships, I can't just take ownership because I'm deeply insecure. So what i got to do is i got to be like, no, it's your fault. You should have done this. If you'd have done this with this, if you, you're always like this, it's like, just, isn't that exhausting? Is anyone done with the blame game it makes you defensive defensive fear of intimacy will always make you defensive and dis- distant it's not my fault It's your fault so the question is if it makes us defensive and distance how do we overcome it because you're like great cool you pointed out this problem we've had a couple good laughs but what do we do with this information so I want to talk today on how do we overcome the fear of intimacy okay first thing if you're taking notes You must take, listen to every word, it's important. You must take a prayerful relational risk for an intimate relational return. Let me say it again. You must take a prayerful relational risk, a prayerful relational risk for an intimate relational return. Not a random risk, not a haphazard risk, a prayerful relational risk. You must take one. In order to have an intimate relational return, in order to have true relationship, you have to take a prayerful risk. Here's the thing about relationships. You cannot have both control and intimacy. In a relationship, if you want intimacy, you have to let go of control. One of the most painful things that I see in relationships is that people so desperately want to control the other person and control what they allow them to see of of themselves and control what, you know, the image that they put up and this kind of false sense of who they are, that they never really open up to who they are. And so they're so about control that they rob themselves of intimacy, and then it feels fake, and then it feels hurtful. But relationships require risk. Not control, not a list, not the upper hand, not like, I'm going to make sure if they hurt me, I got something in my back pocket, I can like, be like, oh yeah, I got, it's not a competition. It requires risk, and it's a risk, a prayerful risk, we must take, hear me, you must take the relational risk, because yeah, it's scary to risk, it's true, but it is scarier to not risk, Yeah, it's scary because it makes us vulnerable. It makes us vulnerable to take a relational risk, but it's scarier to go through life alone. Some of you are are single here today, and you're like, you heard the married man be like, you're like, I want that. I want to be one of those dudes leading his family. I freaking love that. Uh, and I meet with a lot of young guys who are like, man, I just want to be married. I want to be married. I'm so tired of being lonely. I want to be married. And I just tell them, hey, listen, as you're in this season, you've got to break any kind of fear of intimacy. Because bringing a fear of intimacy into a marriage will make you even more miserable than being single and alone. Th- let me explain. Marriages with a false intimacy are Brutal. Because marriages where where people are not opening themselves up and being honest and truthful, they just end up lying. There is nothing more painful than lying next to somebody that you feel like you don't even know and feeling so stuck and trapped and feeling so alone. That is a loneliness that supersedes. I know single people, it's hard to imagine, but that is a loneliness that supersedes any kind of individual loneliness. It's a a sense of being completely abandoned because of a fake intimacy. Hear me. Hear me. Being with someone will not remove your loneliness. Only intimacy will. Only a prayerful risk that brings intimacy will remove loneliness. You have to take a prayerful risk, whether you are single or married, in a relationship, wanting friendship. You have to take a prayerful risk in order to get a relational return, even though it's scary. Uh, I, I talk to a lot of people who are hurt by church. I feel like our church is like this church full of people hurt by church. Like, every time I'm here, it's like, yeah, pastor, I'm just overcoming some things. I was really hurt by church. You know, I, I know that's kind of, they, they act like it's really unique, and I just want to say, hey, listen, you're probably surrounded by like 90% of the people who go here have that same story, because churches are full of people, and people are super messy, and they do kind of mean things. Amen? Yeah, okay. You're like, wait, were you supposed to amen that? Well, sure, why not? <laughs> And so I meet a lot of people who have been hurt by church, and they group people together. They say, well, you know, church people do this. All churches do this. Church people does this. You know, this is, you know, this is how everybody does it. And I'm like, listen, you can't just group everybody together as a way to eliminate individual responsibility. If this person has hurt you, then that's an issue. If that pastor or that board or that church or that policy has hurt you, then that's an issue. But to say all church has hurt me, therefore I will never engage into the beauty of the relationship God has gifted me and called me to do, is actually going to rob you of the possibility of the beauty of being a part of the church. Church is like traffic. You're not in traffic. You are traffic. Right? You're not in church. You are church. Right? You're a part of it. If you're in it and you're like, yeah, this is the," yo, you're part of it. You are a number. You're a member of it. And so for us, we cannot begin to just write it off and think that we're going to fulfill all that God has commanded and called and gifted us to do. Do you know that God has called and commanded us to gather together as a church? How are we going to do that if we just reject relationships? That's why we do small groups. Intimacy. Can I tell you, if you go to a small group, I encourage you, you got to be vulnerable. you got to take the risk because attendance does not breed intimacy, right? Attendance doesn't mean, just because you're there doesn't mean that you're going to be, you're going to have an intimacy. Investment does. you got to put something on the line. Do you got skin in the game in your small group? Do people know something if they share they could hurt you with? Are you willing to take that risk? It matters. That's why we do them because it's scary to risk, but it's even scarier to go through life without the intimate connection that God wants us to have with His people. Look what God says about love. Uh, 1 Corinthians thirteen seven says this, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I- I'm going to ask, you know, don't, don't answer, but have you stopped believing in love? I'm not talking about just like uh, marriage relationships or things like that. But just in friendship, have you stopped believing in love? Like, you've been hurt. And so when you hear that love believes all things, hopes all things, you're like, man, I've given up hope to have those deep relationships. Can I just encourage you this morning? Lean into the God of love who created love, who is love, and allow him to transform your heart that you might take that risk to experience loving relationships again. I know it's scary to take the risk, but can I just say again, it's scarier to not take the risk. There's something, though, as you're pressing into these uh, and seeking intimacy that I want to encourage you to avoid. Okay, this would be a subheading if you're a big note taker. Avoid premature intimacy. Remember, this is a prayerful relational risk. This is a prayerful relational risk. Don't go to a stranger. This means don't go to a stranger and just like, but can I vomit my whole life story all over you? You're like, nobody does that. Yes, (laughs) all the time. I, I was at a, at a conference, a young adult conference, and we were on a panel. We were talking about connection. And one of the, um, one of the gals talking says, there was someone that was at their church who was always going around. And she wouldn't say like, Hey, how are you doing? She would just come up to new people. Never knew. And said, what's your deepest fear? And they were, she was like, well, I'm not going to tell you that. She's like, why We're Christians we're supposed to go deep together? She's like, I don't even know you. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you my deepest fear. Like, I don't we just met, right? But okay, we don't know if you guys played football, but <sighs> anti-small talk Christians, let's take a knee. <laughs> Listen, people are not gonna tell you intimate details of their life until they know they can trust you. And they can't know they can trust you until they've spent time with you. Right? We had a guy <laughs> back when we started the church and he didn't last long. Never do. And uh, he was like, hey, when people come in, instead of saying, how are you, which, you know, it's fine, he said, we should ask, what breakthrough are you believing God for in your life? I'm like, to guess? He's like, yeah, to guess. We got to go deep right away. And I was like, yeah, I think they might deeply go to another church, man. Like, you're going to be like, nope. <laughs> because I believe in in the power of being truthful and honest. I think too often we are way too shallow with our relationships. I think we need to understand details. But come on, guys, let's be honest, right? It, there, there's, a, there's a process of trust and intimacy being built, right? Some, some of you are like, what? No, I, I don't understand. Listen, if you emotionally vomit all over the internet, and then you emotionally vomit all over your coworkers, and then you emotionally vomit all over your friends or acquaintances, then you emotionally vomit all over your family, you might wonder why nobody listens to you anymore, and it's because they're tired of smelling like vomit. It's like, it's just so much. It's so much all over my life. And so what I'm not saying is to just be closed off. In fact, I'm saying very the opposite. But I'm saying we must understand that relationships are not just about us. They're about the other person. They're about us together. It's not about what I get out of this friendship. Well, I need this. It's about what we get together. And so that time must be spent. There has to be a a prayerful relationship risk taken. I mean, the same thing is true for those in love. I, I, I used to do youth ministry, and um, it would happen, there'd be some girl who comes and it's like her first time, and I loved our youth ministry. We had all kinds of kids come on all the time, and so you get like a group of five girls that all came. They just got done with like cheer practice, and they roll in, and you know, we're in the like pre-service prayer, and inevitably one of our like teen leaders would come up to me like, hey, pastor, oh man, I just feel like the Lord told me I'm supposed to marry her. I'd be like, what's her name? I don't know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna guess that wasn't the Lord. He's like, how do you know? And It's like, I'm willing to take that risk. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, no. I I love her. I'm gonna go tell her. I'm gonna go tell her I love her. I'm like, no, please stop. Please don't. Please. Don't. You're like that happens all the time. Like, I just feel like the Lord spoke to me. I I saw her in in the prayer time and I just felt the Spirit. I'm like, you felt something. That's for sure. But <laughs> It wasn't the Spirit. <laughs> And they're just like, I love love the way she smells. She's so amazing. It's just kind of like, right? We have to take a prayerful risk. There's a danger of just throwing your heart at any person that you think comes close to any kind of relationship you want. Don't take no risk, but you got to be careful about just throwing and dumping your heart out on every person, just giving your heart away to every person that comes along. And that's been such a wrestling. I've seen in ministry people are like, they've been hurt, they've been distant, then they come back and they throw their heart at the first person that makes them feel good. Then they get hurt, and they feel distanced. Then they want friendships. And so then they're just like, they've been alone for so long that anybody who will listen to their their story, they'll just tell every part of their story. So they're just sharing with everybody. And then they feel hurt because people aren't receiving it. And then they're like, you know what? I'm just not going to date for a year. Then they're like, well, I'm not going to date for— like six months. Well, I might date for like two weeks. Actually, Pastor, I've been dating this girl for a month, and uh, I just need to let you know, you know, that this is happening in my life. And then they feel distant and hurt, and it just goes on and on and on and on and on. We call that the roller coaster. But I love what Song Solomon 8.4 says. It says, young women of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. It doesn't say, don't stir up love. It says, don't stir it up. Don't light that fire till it's time. Many people engage in premature intimacy, which is fake intimacy. And hear me, fake intimacy outside of marriage is just still fake intimacy. True intimacy is saying, I lay my life down to serve you. I submit my heart to you. I give my life, my heart, my soul, my being to be with you in a covenant marriage, a covenant relationship. And then I'm going to express every form of intimacy that God has given to us and blessed us with creation. But I need to avoid premature intimacy. Are you still with me? You're still with me? Okay, good. You must take a prayerful relational risk for an intimate relational return. Let me explain it like this. My wife, uh, I've known my wife since we were 16 years old, which is awesome, and, uh, my wife has always been super cool, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys know my wife, he's seen her around, if not, you can go on Instagram if you're online, you're like, who is it? She's the one holding, like, the really adorable kid with the curly hair, um, She's always been super cool. People are like, oh, man, your wife's so stylish. Like, some people are like, yeah, your wife's kind of, like, intimidating, which is so funny because she would never say that about herself. Because my wife grew up uh, not as a super confident person, not as a very confident person. She didn't grow up in a setting that I would say would foster confidence in young women. And especially the confidence to express yourself creatively. And so she grew up not feeling cool. Now, I thought she was cool because we go to these, like, punk shows, and she had, like, band tees and, like, Converse, and she was, like, moshing, like, punching people. And I was like, this girl's amazing. Right? I thought it was awesome. I was like, if, if, you can get a, if you can get in a mosh pit and knock someone's tooth out, I'm going to marry you. Right? When you're 16, that's cool. Any brother, you know what I'm talking about. All right. You can keep up with the dudes. I'm impressed. Uh, so I thought she was kind of cool and super intimidating because, again, you know, tooth. But she didn't feel that way. And it's interesting, you know, kids can be so mean, right? What is it about kids that they just don't like other kids, like, taking a step in a direction? What I mean is, like, if you're a kid and you try something, and your other friends who are also insecure, whether it be middle school or high school, they always seem to kind of want to pull you back into the fold. Like, don't get too far. Don't get too crazy. Don't do something too wild. Like, you show up one day wearing, like, a cool shirt, you guys don't want to talk about when you're a kid, you show up, you got that dino shirt from your aunt, right? It's like Tia went all out, she got this shirt for you, they're going to show up, and all of a sudden the first kid's like, dude, what's on your shirt? Like, from then, that shirt's dead, right? <laughs> you're like, oh, no, it's a, di- it's a, di- it's a dinosaur? And they're like, what? Right? Is that pajamas? Dude, this kid's wearing pajamas, right? Right? That things done. That's how kids are. What's crazy is adults do the same thing. We like to think that we've somehow graduated from that mode, but it's the same thing. You know, someone comes to your work trying out a new shirt. You know, Bob shows up. He's got this yellow shirt. He bought it. JCPenney's on sale. He thought it was a good deal. He shows up. He's got the fit. He's looking good. He's feeling good. His wife said he looked good when he left. And he shows up, and there's always that guy in the office that's making jokes, and no one's told him to shut up yet, but he's always making jokes at someone's expense, and um, And so he says, Oh hey, Bob, look at you, man. Looking like a banana today. And it's like he's like, Ah, I'm just joking, I'm having fun. But then like after a while that really drains on him. By the end of the day, his nickname is Banana Bob. I've worked in toxic work environments. I know exactly how this goes. Go home, fold the shirt up, put it back in the drawer, never wear it again. Some of you guys you have you have those shirts you have those uh, hats or those uh, those songs you like the things you like to do and some of you you don't you could care less but some of you that really hits and so my wife when we moved down here said she said you know what i'm going to be who God created me to be i'm going to be creative and stylish and fun and powerful as a woman of god she said so guess what i'm gonna cut my hair short going to get this mohawk thing going on i'm going to wear what i want to wear i have always going to wear bell bottoms I'm going to wear bell bottoms the last place we were at, somebody would have said something like, "Oh, look at what you're doing with your haircut, or you doing with your pants." It's like, man, go home, fix your marriage or something. And so she said, "You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wear this." And it was amazing; it was a moment of vulnerability for her to to just wear what she felt comfortable with. And uh, and you know, I don't know if anybody said anything or didn't. She gives off a very confident presence now. But was amazing is as time went, then gal started coming up to her saying, hey, I've always wanted to do that, but I never felt like I could. But like then I say, you do it, and I feel like it's okay. Because there's something special that happens when someone's vulnerable and honest and authentic is that other people feel like they can too. They feel like, yeah, I, c- I can wear that. I can do that. I can say that. I can be real. I can be authentic. It's easy to be authentic in a group where other people are being authentic, right? It's easy to be real when other people are being real. It's easy to, it's easy to do what you feel like you were created to do when people are excited for you. People are happy for you. But it takes that moment, that first moment of taking a risk to be vulnerable. Some of you, God has created you and gifted you with powerful anointings and special callings, but you're just so afraid to really be who God created you to be, because if you do, someone might be like, hey man, nice shirt, and you're just like, I'm never going to take that risk again. Some of you have tried You tried to step out in a ministry or in a business calling or in an opportunity or in your family, and someone hurts you relationally, they use it against you, and you're like, you know what, never again. I'm not going to take that risk again. I'm not going to take the relational risk again. Some of you tried to make friends and it didn't work out. And so it's easier just to put it away in the drawer and hide it away, your gifts, your talents, and your skills, rather than just be who God called you to be. Be authentic. Be honest. And can I promise you something? As you are authentic and honest, I'm not saying be mean. I'm not saying use an excuse to be crash or anti-Christian you know, Christian principles. I'm saying being who God gifted you and called you and anointed you to be. As you do that, can I tell you, other people will begin to be vulnerable as well. Because everybody's waiting for someone to go first and just be themselves. If God created you to be empathetic, be empathetic. If He created you to be creative, be creative. But just be vulnerable. Be real. Be open. I love 1 John 4.18. I read at the beginning, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Take the relational risk. Begin that relationship. Restore that relationship. Be honest with someone. Be authentic in your current relationships. And trust that by God's power through His strength and the Holy Spirit, that He will remove that fear. But you got to take the risk. Are you still with me? Okay. Last thing, band, you can come up. So I know I said uh, the first thing first, but that's really the second thing. This is kind of the first thing. I put them in reverse order for the reason that this builds the foundation. So the way that you take the risk is this. Before you risk, if you're writing notes, write this down. Before you risk, you must find security, acceptance, and intimacy in Christ. Don't just take a prayerful risk out of insecurity. Take it out of security. Be secured from a position of strength in the Lord. I love it. Someone asked Jesus. They said, hey, Jesus, what is the most important law? What's the most important thing? And they were trying to trap him, but Jesus is very smart. And he said this, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 through 39. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first, or the great and first commandment. Verse 39 says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Look at that. First, we love God completely. First, give your heart to the Lord. Surrender your heart. Surrender your insecurities. Surrender all the sin, all the shame. Bring it before Him. Allow Him to make you new. Every part of you lay down at the feet of Christ. Say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need a Savior. And then He says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's interesting. You love the neighbor, your neighbor, not as you hope to be loved. You love your neighbor as yourself. How are you going to love others if you don't love yourself? How are you going to love others if you, you just can't accept how God made you to be? If you're not secure and your identity is not secure in Christ. If you don't accept yourself, find security in Christ, find intimacy in Christ. It's going to be so hard to find intimacy with others. If you're constantly criticizing yourself, you're going to criticize others. Usually when I meet a really critical person, I know that in their heart when they go home, they're the hardest on themselves. If you don't trust yourself, how are you going to trust others? If you're insecure in everything and in your identity and your person, how are you ever going to trust the other person in the relationship? How are you going to be secure in your relationships? We have to find our intimacy first, our security first in Christ, your identity in Him. Then you take the risk. It is the springboard for the risk of faith. It is the security of your identity. When I became a lead pastor, I uh, I was told by a pastor friend, yeah, pastors, you know, they just can't have, you know, friendships like, like you used to. You can't have those friendships. Um, and the, 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 the more your church grows, the harder it is to have friends. And in some ways, I understand what they're saying as a leadership principle, like, you can't divulge all intimate aspects of my life everywhere all the time. Like I talked about, you know, sharing all that with strangers. But I thought, man, you know, I feel like the key to what I do is being honest and being vulnerable. I, I believe that pastoring requires being honest. I You wouldn't want me to not be honest. Maybe sometimes I'm too honest, but... I'm trying. But when I come up here, my goal is to be honest and vulnerable and speak the truth. It's a risk. It's a risk to be vulnerable from stage, especially in an age where everything's recorded and people can snapshot whatever you say and then post it up. Be like, look at this person. They hate trees or something. It's a risk. It's a risk to say things. It's a risk to be vulnerable. It's a risk to be honest. It's a risk. But but let me tell you, I like to take that risk because I believe in the power of you encountering Jesus Christ and encountering the gospel. Our mission so that all people can experience the freedom and power of a new life in Jesus Christ. It's on the back wall. I want to take that risk. People will ask me in this season. Especially in the COVID season, because every time I make a decision, someone, you know, has a very strong opinion about it. Like, how, how are you doing that? How do you, how do you every week take that risk being vulnerable and coming on stage and being vulnerable? And my response is usually the same. I have to do it from a position of strength in God. If I'm being honest, I don't every day just feel so strong and confident. If some days I go home and I smash my head against the table, like, what is going on? But my strength does not come from me, it comes from the Lord. My strength doesn't come from my strength, it comes from the Lord. And and I love that scripture says, I am weak, but He's strong. And in fact, He's glorified through my weakness because His strength is shown. I'm secured in Him. That is the thing I've learned, that I have to be secured in Christ. I have to have my security and my acceptance and my intimacy in Christ first i know that not all of you will like me and i say this in a in a a way not to be like get i say this in a in a tongue-in-cheek way of like i i don't care if you like me in the sense of my acceptance and my calling is not built off people's approval of me make sure i say that the right way so you know that i love all you guys but my acceptance, my understanding. Listen, I know I'm not gonna be enough for everybody, and I'm okay with that because God has accepted me. Romans 15:7. some of you need to write this verse down. Write it on your hand, go home later, get it tattooed on your body, whatever you need to do. Romans 15:7 says, "'Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you "'in order to bring praise to God.'" This is awesome. God has accepted me. God has accepted you. God has accepted us. And so our anchor is in the acceptance through God. My risk comes out of that strength, not in how I'm feeling that day, but because God has accepted me. God has called me. God has anointed every believer with the Holy Spirit. He's commissioned and called you and given great purpose. And you know what? Just because someone doesn't believe that doesn't make it not true because God has called you. And so my confidence comes from there. I'm able to take that risk because, man, relationship risks are scary. But I'm able to take that risk, and you're able to take that risk when you're secured in Christ. I love to do uh, discipleship with uh, young men. I mean, really just, I love to sit down with men and talk about uh, not just what you do, not just why you do it, but who you are. And a lot of young men I meet with, uh, they're always trying to take that next step in life trying to get that relationship trying to get that job trying to get that opportunity and so they're really focused on what they do a lot of their value is in what they do and so a lot of the relational confidence comes off of what I'm doing I have confidence in the risks I'm taking because you know I have this job or this opportunity and I I usually make it a first priority to be like hey listen that is so cool but my question is not what do you do but who who are you who are you who are you What makes you special? What was the last time you thought about that? What makes you special? Have you, have you sat down and really made a list? What are your values as a person? And so we would usually sit down and we would write out core values. I don't know if you ever heard about core values, but I'd sit down with the young men. We'd write out core values, and i say, okay, let's pray. we get together and we'd pray. And a lot of times we'd start, they'd say, I don't know, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know, I work hard, or I don't know, I do this. And very, very diminutive, self-diminutive. So let's pray. Let's come before the Lord. Let's seek the Lord together. God, how have you uniquely gifted me? God, how how have you uniquely called me? God, what makes me special? And as we pray, the Lord begins to reveal things, and I love it. And I say, okay, let's build some core values. How did God gift you? How did he anoint you? How did he create you? And usually it's like, well, I don't know. Like, I I guess like I'm really loyal. I'm like, that's an awesome core value to be loyal? I think that's one of nicks. Like, That's an awesome core value to be loyal. It's like, yeah, okay. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about what are some situations that you've gone through that have really built up your confidence and really made you feel good. Oh, yeah, this, 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 this. Okay, what are some ways where you feel like you might be unique or gifted or anointed or called or special? I know we're so hard on the word special, but, like, it's okay for God to think that you're special. I said, okay, now let's just begin to talk about what are some sufferings and some unique things you've gone through in your life that you've overcome and you've seen life change and transformation, and then begin to make this list. And it makes me so happy as a pastor, as a minister, to see just our eyes open to the fact that as we find our security and our identity in Christ, you're actually pretty awesome, and God has gifted you and given you talents in incredible ways, and we're so diminutive to ourselves. but guess what? Like God has still called you and anointed you. And so I say, listen, now take that card, write them out, write your core values out, and put it somewhere that you can see. Because this week you're gonna have to take a risk. You're gonna have to take a relational risk. And so when you get ready to take that risk, I don't want you to just base it how confident you feel in that moment. I want you to base it on the confidence of your identity from the acceptance you have in Christ. You are His child, you are redeemed, you are chosen, you are called, you are anointed, you are special. It's time to take a prayerful risk. Some of you today, it's time to take a prayerful risk in relationships. It's time to take a prayerful risk in your family, in your marriage. It's time to take a prayerful risk in friendships, whatever it might be. It's time to take the risk, to base it not off of how you feel in that moment, but the confidence in your identity in Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to close out today. For some of you, I think in this moment, it's time to take the risk. You've been holding back. You've been arms arms, uh, reach from everybody, holding people off, not sure you've been hurt before. So the idea of getting back into any kind of relationship is so hard, any kind of friendship is so hard. But can I tell you, now is the time to take the risk. Some of you don't have a, have a great marriage, but it's time to take the risk. Some of you don't have the solid friendships you want. Some of you, you've been hurt in the past. And can I tell you, it's just, it's time to take the risk. It's time to step into that moment. And so if you're in this place this morning and you know that you need the Lord to help you take a prayerful risk, to break off that fear of intimacy, I want to pray for you in just a moment. Could you get hurt? Yes, yes, you could. I know that's scary, but it's scarier if you don't risk it going to miss out on all that God has for you, going to live with the fear of intimacy. So I want to pray for you today. If that's you and you're saying, God, I need you to break off the fear of intimacy, break this fear off of my life and replace it with faith that I might take that prayerful risk in order to receive an intimate relational return. If that's you today, would you just bow your head and close your eyes, everybody in this room, where well, I'm going to pray over you in this space. Allow the Lord to speak to your heart before we begin praying. And if that's you, and you're here saying, I have a fear of intimacy, and today, Lord, I need you to break that off of me. I need you to help me take a prayerful risk today. Every eye closed, every head bowed, would you just lift your hands with me, and I want to pray for you today. First thing, I need freedom from the fear of intimacy. Freedom from the fear of intimacy. And just leave your hands up. I want to pray for you this morning. Would you all agree with me today? We pray, God, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, God, I pray that we would be secure in you. God, not by our performance, not by our actions, but because of what you did, Jesus, what you did on the cross. God, that we would see ourselves as you see us. God, that today those with their hands raised would see themselves as acceptable and special and blessed by God. And God, that out of the perfect love that we have in relationship with you, that fear would begin to be broken away, that like scripture says, that that love would drive out all fear and that supernaturally, that you would replace that fear with faith. God, we say this morning, that spirit of fear is not from you. It does not come from you. It is not of you. And so we ask this morning, God, replace fear with faith. May your perfect love overtake our hearts. We pray this morning for healed marriages. We pray this morning for new relationships. God, we pray this morning for intimacy in relationships. God, we know that the enemy is trying to steal intimacy. And so this morning, we pray for relationships. I pray that the old is gone and the new has come. I pray for a risk of faith this morning and that every chain of fear will be broken in the name of Jesus. All God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Yeah, you can praise the Lord. That's good. I'm going gonna, gonna to pray for one more thing. Then the band is going to sing Waymaker. I know we're, we're going to lay We're going to do Discover, like, right after this. (laughs) But I I need to tell you this morning, if you never made this decision, if you're watching online, never made this decision, about the greatest relational risk that was ever taken. See, when we read Genesis 3, and it talks about the sin and the rebellion against God and the separation that that created relationally between God and man, that same separation exists for us, those who have sinned and fallen short. It says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet, God loved us so much that he sent his son, fully God, fully man, to die on the cross for us, to be the substitutionary atonement. What does that mean? I Means sin is when we put ourselves in God's place, but Jesus came, and He put Himself in our place, and He took the debt upon Himself, and He died on the cross, and He took a risk. He took a risk. He laid Himself bare, and He defeated death, hell, and the grave for the risk that you might accept his free gift of grace. You're like, I don't have any answers. It sounds scary. I don't know. Listen, can I just tell you this morning? take the risk. Maybe last week you were here and you heard take the risk and you thought I should do that, but then a little voice whispered in your head and you're like, you need to control every element of this. Listen, you can't have control and intimacy. You need to release that and just receive the love of God. Did you know that there is hope for every future and healing for every past? We know that everyone who receives Jesus Christ is going to experience not only the freedom from all sin and shame, but the power of being anointed by the Holy Spirit and walking in the truth and purpose that He has. But today, you got to take the risk. You got to take the risk. So, one last time, eyes closed, head bowed, in this moment. I'm not going to count to three. I'm not going to give options. I'm going to say this morning, in person or online, if this morning you're saying, I want to take the risk to begin a relationship with Jesus, that He might transform my heart, that the old is gone, all my sin and shame, and the new has come, that I am walking in the righteousness of God, that I've received the hope for every future, and the healing for every past. If that's you this morning, maybe you've even walked away from Jesus, and you're like, man, I'm coming back. Jesus is saying, come home right now. Take that relational risk. If that's you, I'm just going to invite you, lift your hand up, put it back down. There's a moment of saying, Jesus, right now. And I'm going to pray for you. Let's all pray together, then the band's going to lead us. Would you just repeat after me? Pray, dear Jesus. Come on, dear Jesus, everybody. Thank you for your love. Thank you for dying for me. Taking my sins on the cross. I give you my heart, I surrender my life, come on, come on, I surrender my life, I lay it at your feet, and I receive your love, your endless mercy, your beautiful grace. I release any fear, and I choose today to follow you. With my life, in Jesus' name, all God's people rejoiced and said, amen. Amen. Let's worship this morning as we close.